Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here from the Bible Worm Podcast. This week, we're wrapping up our summer series on the women of the Hebrew Bible with the story of Bathsheba as told in 1 Kings 1, 1 1-40. This podcast was originally released as a special episode on December 7th, 2022. We hope you enjoy it. Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian-in-Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. Welcome to another special episode about the stories of women in the biblical text, this time about Bathsheba. We met her first in 2 Samuel chapter 11, but she was more acted upon than an actor herself in that story. This week, we meet her again in 1 Kings chapter 1, when David has gone from a model of virility, power, and traditional, sometimes toxic, masculinity to a fairly pitiable state in his old age. At this awkward moment when David is still king, but is losing control over both the kingdom and his own facilities, it is Bathsheba alone who knows how to take the wheel. Trust, intimacy, loyalty, and power all look a little different in this story. Can you find them? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? Hey, Amy, I am freezing in my office. Oh my gosh, it's so cold in here. We've been having trouble. My office is in this building that's like, uh, it was built in like the 1920s as the president's home at Hendrix. It's like a really beautiful building, but it's very old and very drafty. We've been having trouble with the heating. And so it's really super cold in my office. But a couple of episodes ago, I wore my jacket and it was super swishy. I don't know if you'd notice. Yeah, it had sounds. (laughs) So I was like, hey, Amy, swish, swish, swish. How are you this morning? Swish, swish, swish. So, uh, so you're in the, invigorated by in the, the interest cold. of podcast sound quality. I am shivering. And so today is going to be like, welcome to Bible Word. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Halloween episode. Yeah, I shiver oh, like a ghost. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. How are you? When you said you're freezing in your office, in your office, uh. it made me think of when John Ossoff was running for <laughs> office. In Atlanta, yeah, where I live, and people had these signs on their lawn that said "Vote your ass off." <laughs> I love that because that's what I thought you said. Like yeah. that's what I thought you were going to say instead of freezing in your. I'm office. freezing my ass off. I can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, but we can't use those words in our podcast, so I won't say what I'm thinking. Oh, but let that. the reader understand. Yeah, let the reader understand. <laughs> I love that. Let those with ears to hear listen. There you go. To what the Bible worm is saying, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Tis cold indeed. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. We are reading today another another portrayal of a woman in our biblical text. Yeah. I've been digging this series. I like this series. I like it too. And also, this has happened to me several times in this series so far, and hopefully the magic of the Bible worm will happen again. 
I don't know what to think about. I'm starting this episode <laughs> yeah. not knowing what not knowing what I think and not really knowing what to say. So yeah, may the may the magic come upon us. Yeah, I hope so. This text. <laughs> I mean, we're we're talking about Bathsheba today, but we are um, we earlier this season we already have done an episode on the sort of famous Bathsheba story in yeah. First Kings, or sorry, in First. Uh, where is that text? Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Second Samuel eleven. Yeah, and this is a lesser-known text in First Kings 1 that I'm not sure, like, I think it would be easy enough if you were sort of a casual or even, like, not that casual reader of the Bible for this text to get past you. Yeah. So honestly, like, I mean, I've read this text, obviously, before, but I've never really thought about this text in any meaningful way. So I'm sort of in a similar position yeah. of, like, I, I mean, I know what happens in this text, but I don't really yeah. know what to do with it. So. What to do with it in terms of how we think about the role of this woman in the Bible. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and what we can sort of understand about her. And I'm really glad we're reading it because, you know, that the story that we read in 2 Samuel, there's a wonderful scholar that that you know well named Adele Berlin who talks about that story, talks about Bathsheba in that story, saying that, like, she's basically a non-person. Yeah. Like, she's kind of a prop. She's yeah. hardly even— She's not even really accused of participating in the adultery. She's more like the the avenue through which adultery happens. Yeah. <laughs> but very, very passive character, the way the story is told. And so while there certainly are depictions of her, thank you, you know, patriarchal society, that that portray her as some kind of like seductress or harlot right. or something like that, that really is in the imaginings of that's right the society that portrays her that way in the story we we just don't we don't get a lot of a lot that's sort of initiated by her it's really hard to get a sense of what's who she is or what's that's exactly going on right for her. that's exactly right yeah and i remember when we were talking about that text earlier this season and was sort of like well what do, let's let's say some things about bathsheba and there was really very Little There's to say. Very little to say. You right. could kind of imagine your way into her character a little bit in that text, but that's exactly what it is. Like, there's uh, there are different ways of imagining her agency and her sort of yeah. willingness or unwillingness in that text, but we don't. The text doesn't give us very much at all. But but here we get a little more. Of we her get character. a little more. Yes, and I'm glad that we have that story from Second Samuel already in our minds because if nothing else, it gives us part of her biography. Like, if it doesn't give us her personality, like, here's here's the thing that happened. Here are some things that happened in the life of this woman who will uh, who will get to speak a little bit more in this chapter. That's right. So if listeners are wanting to go back and hear the earlier podcast on that text, it was episode 408, which came out, I don't know, sometime in October-ish? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You'll find it. October, uh, yeah. October 16th is the date I have. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's somewhere right in there. Yeah. So today we are in 1 Kings, the next book along the way after 2 Samuel. Is there any background that you think we need to sort of understand what's happening as we start 1 Kings chapter 1? Well, so... You know, we have to we have to jump back in our narrative quite a bit from where we've been in our regular series. Yes, yes, yes. So just as a reminder, in that text that we read earlier in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, 
David had, whatever, had taken, called for Bathsheba and brought him, and they had had uh, sex and had a child together who eventually dies. And if you remember the prophet Nathan in that text in 2 Samuel 12, had called David in and told that little story about the sheep. And (laughs) David said, oh, what a horrible person. And Nathan said, you're that guy. And then pronounced a curse on David's house and said, your trouble is going to be in your house for the rest of your days. And that really is kind of the way that David's life has played out. So Solomon is the fifth of David's children. There's four sons before him. Um, One of them, whose name I can't even remember right now, (laughs) <laughs> we don't know anything about. He maybe, uh, a lot of people speculate that maybe he died as a child or something because he's, we don't know anything about him. And then there was uh, the oldest, Amnon, who uh, ended up raping his sister Tamar and then being killed by his older brother or his younger brother, Absalom, who was then uh, the next in line for the kingship if we go by the rules of primogeniture. He ended up leading in a coup against David. And so there was a whole like civil war going on and then Absalom died in battle. And so Solomon, who was fifth in line, is now second in line. And then there's one, yet one more brother, Adonijah, who we'll read about in this text. Mm -hmm. So it's been a fairly tragic end of David's life. And he's seen many of his uh, children die. And then there is a question now about who's going to succeed David as the next king of of Israel. Mm -hmm. I think that's the background we need. Would you say any other things? No, I think that's good. I have a question for you. Does it seem to you a relatively clear or settled thing that the, you used a fancy word, the promogeniture. Promogeniture. That's how it would go. Like, because we, we haven't had a lot of kings yet for David. Oh, that's true. Before David, like there was Saul, and then that just was sort of a mess and things transferred to David. But does it seem fairly clear that the expectation would be that it would go through the order? The I think order? that question is really important, Amy, because, so yes, I think that the sort of cultural expectation would be oldest child mm-hmm. is the next in line. Oldest son is next in line. But you're exactly right. Israel itself hasn't established any kind of a thing yet because Saul and then all of his heirs died and David became the king. Mm -hmm. And so now this is the first time that anybody has tried to pass a kingship generationally Mm -hmm. in Israel. And so I think there is a reasonably a dispute or a debate about how it should go. The imagination I think would be that the next oldest probably would be like culturally and surrounding kingdoms and, and such that the next, and the they would go in order of birth. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Israel has established that. One of the other dynamics that's going on here that I don't know how important it is, but the first four of David's children were all born in Hebron before David was the king in Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. Solomon is the first who was born in Jerusalem while David is the king. And so there is a... You know, if you go back to one of the Hebronite sons, that is in some sense favoring the southern kingdom's lineage where David was the king in Hebron, Mm. whereas Solomon is the first who's like born in the central city. Maybe he's got a broader reach in northern uh, kingdom Israel and southern kingdom Judah. And so there are other reasons 
that one might prefer Solomon over Adonijah. It's a complicated moment, I guess. It's a fraught moment as this king. They're trying to figure out how to pass on this kingship. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. And we'll see some of that north-south play out a little bit later too. Great. So we are going to read today 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 40. Really, Bathsheba doesn't show up in those first four verses, but I just can't read this chapter without reading about (laughs) Abishag the Shunammite. So so we're going to begin at the beginning. Do you remember back in the day when you used to call me Bobby Shog? (laughs) I forgot I called you Bobby Shog. I never quite knew how to how to take that as I I don't think there was a lot of intentionality behind it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because as we will see, Abishag here is kind of an interesting figure. It's an interesting character. And I will I will tell you, I don't think I actually sent you this picture, but when I was in Israel over the summer. I would walk from my little apartment to where I was learning and I passed every day a like clothing store for, you know, hip young people who are yeah. cooler than I am that was called Abishag. Oh, awesome. And I kept thinking I should send you a picture of the yeah. store and then kept thinking, Amy, that's so lame. Bobby doesn't <laughs> want your lame picture of a store called Abishag. Oh no, I would have I would have loved that. It would have You would have loved that. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll remember that next mm-hmm. time. Next time. Okay, so I am picking up in verse 1, reading from the NJPS. King David was now old, advanced in years, and though they covered him with bedclothes, he never felt warm. His courtiers said to him, Let a young virgin be sought for my lord the king, to wait upon your majesty and be his attendant, and let her lie in your bosom, and my lord the king will be warm. So they looked for a beautiful girl throughout the territory of Israel. They found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was exceedingly beautiful. She became the king's attendant and waited upon him, but the king was not intimate with her. It's like a human hot water bottle. (laughs) Yeah. That's um, a beautiful one. Young and a virgin. A very beautiful one. A young, virginal, beautiful. Water bottle. Hot water bottle. Hot water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. This, um, the particular week that we're recording this episode, this text is actually the Haftarah oh. is read in the Jewish community because we read in the Torah the week that we are that Abraham is old and advanced in years, and it uses the same sort of Hebrew turn of phrase. Oh, interesting. But we could really sort of contrast what Abraham's old age looks like. Oh, yeah. To what David's old age yeah. looks like. You know, Abraham, it says he's advanced in years, and then he gets married again and has a bunch more children. <laughs> yeah. And and poor David can't get warm. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is, I mean, in every sense of the word, this is describing the impotence of David. And he's been... You know, David's been such a virile king and he's had so many wives and he's had so many children and he's been a mighty warrior and he's he's done all the manly man things. Yes. And then here we are with this kind of pit- pitiable old man who, you know, there's a beautiful woman keeping him warm and he's not interested in her or at least not able to uh, be intimate with her as your text says. And so yeah. it's uh, highlighting this kind of, yeah, I mean, the impotence of the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it seem 
strange at all that, I mean, he's got several wives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why don't they bring, yeah. why don't they bring one of them to warm him? Like, this just seems very, this seems very strange to me. It does. And I mean, poor Abishag, it just sounds like. They just go out on a like search and rescue mission, not a search and rescue mission. Like I know, uh, search and capture. Search yeah. and capture. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the Esther story, actually, where Ahasuerus yeah. sends out, and they just seem like they bring people in, bring young women in for him. And so Abishag, I don't know what her agency is here. She doesn't seem to have very much. But no, you're exactly right. Like David's got his wives, Bathsheba being among them, and instead of them keeping him warm, it's this virgin, beautiful young virgin who's been brought in just for this purpose. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know what to do with that. It it kind of highlights that, like the fact that David is not interested, I think highlights, like that highlights that aspect a little bit. Yeah. What do you make of that, of that detail? I mean, the only thing that I, yeah, I agree with you. And also, you know, want to sort of lift up what you were saying about, again, if I know we're, Abishag's not the focus of our, of our episode, but as another woman in this text, like, good God, people, this is what we're doing. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it, I mean, I, I wonder if it's supposed to be sort of honoring to David, like the, we, we bring, we bring you yeah. the best of the land, my king, you know, and even though, I don't know if there was an expectation that he he might be intimate with her, but then he yeah. wasn't. It, but I think I think what you're saying that it really just sort of emphasizes that the extent to which he is he's 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 a re- he's in a really different place in his life. He's yes. not. Yeah. He doesn't have all that masculine power exuding from yeah. him anymore. Also, starting now, you've got me thinking about the relational implications of all this, and I'm trying to think like. You know, when I'm when I'm old and feeble and nearing death, like I hope that my bed will be surrounded by people that I love yeah. and like my family and my children and my spouse and just the fact that it's some rando stranger that they brought in yeah. off the street and that's who he wants next to him or at least who is wants to be next to him like really highlights the sort of fractured nature of David's relational life in kind of an interesting way that I had not really thought about before. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I wonder if, you know, he hasn't said anything yet, but it says, like this was his courtier's idea. Yeah. So I don't know if just they were like, this is what I would want, you know. (laughs) But I think it's it's a pretty sad image, sad all around. Sad for Abishag, sad for... David. <laughs> yeah. And just the very notion that the most important thing at this moment is having someone who is beautiful and sexually available to like warm you mm-hmm. is strange. It's very strange. Yeah. I wonder too if it highlights, I mean, there's there'll be some question here in a minute about how to what degree David is in control of his own sort of mental faculties. Like is he yeah. is he senile at this point? Yeah. Or not. And so it may be that. He doesn't know. I mean, I don't know. There's there's a yeah. lot. One, there's a lot. One no, I mean, I there, think but. you're right. He really. We don't know what kind of state he's in. Yeah, but it's it's a tragic one, or at least a it's very, a yes, very sad it is one. a it's a sad one. Yeah, it's just such a it's such a tender image. He couldn't. He never felt warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I just want to go back for a minute to the fact that you used to call me Bobby Shack and just say, like, when you actually read the story. Like, I don't know what to say about that. It sounds yeah. like some form of harassment now in retrospect, but yeah. I really, I had not given it any thought. <laughs> it was very honoring to me at the time. It, but I don't. it just it just kind of rhymed yeah. in an entertaining way. Yeah. And I called you Amos Although, at the time, too. So, like, what we were... <laughs> We and Bobby Shag. <laughs> yeah, we had lost our minds. As I was reading, I kept nearly laughing because you started off by telling us how cold you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby that's could funny. not get warm. Oh, no. I would have oh, been a terrible David. Bobby Shag. Yeah. <laughs> just would have made David well, even colder need, than he you, already was. You would need, so, yeah, you would have been, a, yeah, that's right, with your ice cold little fingers. <laughs> All right, okay. all right. But we're serious. Now we're serious. Okay. I'm ready to move on. We ready Let's to move it. on? Yes, okay. please. <laughs> so verse five. Now Adonijah, son of Haggith, went about boasting, I will be king. He provided himself with chariots and horses and an escort of 50 outrunners. His father had never scolded him. Why did you do that? He was the one born after Absalom and, like him, was very handsome. He conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with the priest Abiathar, and they supported Adonijah. But the priest Zadok, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the prophet Nathan, Shimei and Ray, and David's own fighting men did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah made a sacrificial feast of sheep, oxen, and fatlings at the Zoheleth stone, which is in Ain Rogel. He invited all his brother princes and all the king's courtiers of the tribe of Judah, but he did not invite the prophet Nathan or Benaiah or the fighting men or his brother Solomon. Okay, that was kind of a mouthful. That was. There's lots of there's lots there's a, of names going on there. There are lots of a lots of lots of tricky words in there. Yeah. Okay, how do you read Adonijah? Like, is you could say he's being presumptuous, or he's like usurping, yeah. or you could say like this, or is this a reasonable presumption that this is what's going to happen? How do yeah. you how do you read him? That's such a that's a really good question, and I think it's not clear. I mean, I think it. I think the most positive reading of Adonijah is that he has jumped the gun and he has Mm -hmm. assumed that he's the next king. His father is still alive. Like David is still the king. And so, you know, he seems to have gotten the thought in his head, well, I'm going to be king eventually. So I may as well go ahead and start kinging now. The text is a little nervous about him. It's kind of interesting. Like whenever you describe somebody as handsome, like this is Saul was described that way. David was described that way. Absalom was described that way. Like these are all people who are like kingly. And Absalom, Adonijah's brother, was announced that way as he was trying to overthrow David as the king. And Absalom had also said, I'll be king myself. And so there's echoes here of that story. Like it's, it's like a little mini coup, but it's like, it's a very, like, it's almost like it's not cooey. It's not quite cooey enough. It's not quite cooey enough because it also, it seems like he's, he's, I mean, it's an awkward position because like, yes, his father is still the king and his father is not kinging. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he is starting to move into that space. Right. And the text goes out of its way to say, like, his father never said, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, no one told him, don't do that. So, you know, sometimes that's how we go, right? We sort of, like, you dip your toe in and, like, start moving down the track that you think is, that you both want to happen and maybe legitimately think is going to happen. It's so funny. I'm so glad you pointed out the thing about him being handsome because I was like, this is just one big soap opera. Like, all the people have to be beautiful in (laughs) this plot line. Yeah, no, it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting in verse 6. Like, you read, Adonijah's father had never given him direction or questioned why Adonijah did what he did. It's being related specifically to this moment, which I think it is. But I also also read it as he's like a spoiled brat who has done whatever he wanted his whole life. I don't know oh. how the Hebrew exactly wants you to read that, but that's the way I've read that. Is Adonijah just his? He didn't have any good parental. That's so interesting. It figures. never occurs to him that like this is not your place. You can't just do whatever you want. Yeah, he just does it. He doesn't respect his father's authority. His dad just lets him do whatever he wants, and so he's like, "Of course, I'm going to be the king," and he just goes goes ahead. So this is sort mm. of a playing out of a lifelong dynamic between David and and and, and Adonijah. That's a really different read. Yeah. I do think it is the case that David's not saying, David hasn't said anything like stop doing that, right? And so he, he's mm-hmm. taking that as implicit permission. Yeah. But he also seems to maybe have done that a lot in his life. Yeah. That's very interesting. The description of who goes with uh, Adonijah and who doesn't is really interesting to me. It's important. Yeah. yeah. What can you tell us about that? Who are these people with their complicated names? <laughs> I mean, Joab is the great general that has been David's sort of military leader for his whole life, um, all the way back before he was the king and in his trials with Saul. And Abiathar is a priest who's been with David all the way back since the Saul days. He, he helped David in the kind of Saul drama and then especially in the Absalom drama. So those two guys are like David's pre before David was king mm. when he was a major Judahite leader and was a challenger to Saul they were part of his like his key people his key retinue it makes so much sense that that that's who Adonijah would be connected to because Adonijah right. is a child from before David was king exactly so you've got the child from Hebron gathering the people from Hebron like Mm-hmm. It's like the pre it's the pre Jerusalem crowd. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And then what about the people who are not invited? I mean, they're the Jerusalem crowd. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the, the prophet Nathan, of course, is his uh, David's uh, court prophet in Jerusalem, and so yeah. So those those are the folks that are people who have sort of been gathered to David in his role as the king in Jerusalem. And so we've got this kind of split here between yeah. the sort of the scope of the loyalty or something like that. Yeah, no, right, right. And and Nathan, of course, we'll read some more about in a, in a minute, but this is, as you mentioned earlier, the, the prophet who came to David after that episode with Bathsheba and told him exactly that very uh, powerful story, the, the message of which was basically you are a terrible person. No, yeah. <laughs> you have done a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. You have done a terrible That's right. Thing. 
and David took him seriously. Like David right. had a lot of trust in, in Nathan. And then of course the other person who's not invited is Solomon, right. which is pretty telling. I think that Adonijah, I mean, I don't know, like you would, I mean, there's a little hint there that Adonijah is trying to pull something over, right? No, I think you're right that this is not just, he feels like this is the obvious thing that is to happen and he's starting to move into the role. Like if he is, yeah, I think the fact in particular that Solomon is not invited is like you're having a celebration with only your supporters. Yeah. Which is what you do when you're campaigning, not after you've won. Yeah. And so if you're Solomon and you know this thing is happening, which I don't know that he does know, but, and you know that you're not invited, like you're going to, you're going to start watching your back, right? Because you're the, like you're the other person who has a legitimate claim to the throne, or at least maybe thinks you have a legitimate claim Or maybe claim thinks to the that he does. We don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know if Solomon thinks he has a claim. Yeah. No, I think that's right. But to the throne. You don't want to be the person who is close, closest to the person who is yeah. claiming the throne because. Yeah. There's no telling, like your life is a, a little bit at, at Especially risk. given what's already happened in this Right, household. exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of trust between members of this household. Will you say just a word about what they're, what do you think is happening? Made a sacrificial feast with these people. I mean, is this, yeah, what, I mean, you could have a sacrificial feast anytime you want to. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. Like, the fact that it starts out with, I'll rule as king myself, like, it's fairly clear what Adonijah thinks he's doing, but, like, whether publicly that would have been received that way. But to me, this looks like, and I think it's received as sort of like he's throwing his own coronation party. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an argument one could make that this was all purely innocent, but I mean... I don't mean to make the case that it's innocent, for that reason, at least. I I just wonder how clear it would have been yeah. to other people seeing this, that yeah, this but, is a coronation. This is like a self-coronation yeah. party. Like, we know there are certain actions where it sort of is like, you are trying to usurp the throne. And I don't know if this would have been one of those, or maybe like a deniable one of them. I don't know. I don't know how, like, chutzpah it is for yeah. him to have done this. Yeah, I mean, I think that options are he has sort of declared himself to be the king here or else he is solidifying the parties that are going to make him king when the time comes. Like, I think it's clear enough that he's doing one of those two things. Yeah. But exactly how egregious this is, I think I think that's an open question. I, th- I think that's right. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here from the Bible Worm Podcast. We hope you're enjoying our special summer series on women of the Hebrew Bible. Amy and I are grateful to you for being part of the Bible Worm listening community. If you're looking for more Bible Worm resources, we hope you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can sign up to receive early episodes, weekly liturgies, and video Bible studies that go along with the podcast. Or for just $4 a month, you can support our ongoing work and help keep this podcast freely available to the public. Plus, you'll receive a snappy Bible Worm sticker that will make you the envy of all your friends and family. See patreon.com slash Podcast for details. And now, back to this week's episode. All right. Shall we continue? Let's continue. Okay, so picking up in verse 11. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, 
You must have heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has assumed the kingship without the knowledge of our Lord David. Now take my advice so that you may save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did not you, O Lord King, swear to your maidservant, Your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit upon my throne? Then why has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. The plot thickens. It does. Okay, there's so there's so many things going on in here, but I'm just, uh, gosh, where do I even start? It's so interesting to me that this comes not from Bathsheba. Yeah. But from Nathan. Yeah. But Nathan, who had the... They're like gravitas to go to David last time and really speak truth that he didn't yeah. want to hear. He doesn't want to start this conversation this time. He yeah. sends Bathsheba instead. Yeah. Given all those things, like, I don't know, how do you understand this, I don't know, relative power of the two of them or the the kinds of ends they have or don't have with David or their relationship to each other? And that's such an important insight, Amy, that Nathan has had sort of authority with David in the past. I don't really put it together for myself that way, but he needs Bathsheba here very clearly. And there's two ways that I can kind of think about it. One is that David is at a point in his life where the intimacy of his relationships and particularly his relationships with women seems to be the thing that he is most moved by. Mm. And so... You know, when he's in his bedroom trying to stay warm with Abishag and here comes Bathsheba, who is someone that he has obviously had a relationship with and has been very um, passionate about in his life. Maybe that's a piece of it is that she has an access to a part of David that's still kind of functioning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other that I can think of is that one would imagine that many, most of Nathan's conversations with David have been public, where many or most Mm. of Bathsheba's conversations with David have been private. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you need to convince David that he has said something that he may or may not have actually said, it's easier to do it if it's somebody who has private and intimate moments with him Mm -hmm. that nobody can fact check. Mm -hmm. I'm so, that's such an, I I love both of those points and- and want to draw out in particular something you just said, which is, did David actually say this? It's not reported anywhere in the biblical text. It's not reported anywhere in the biblical text. So it's left open. Do we have a story here that Nathan and Bathsheba know that's just not narrated in the biblical text? Which mm-hmm. is a sort of like, I don't know, naive and hopeful reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or do we read it, which is obviously where I'm headed, I think you as well, as Nathan understands the political stakes which is in this moment, a decision is going to be made, Adonijah or Solomon. And in and the fates of the people who are not on Adonijah's team, is it's going to be very dire if Adonijah becomes king. It's going to be the end of the road for Nathan. He right. wasn't invited to the party. And so Nathan is thinking like, okay, well, how, how can we turn the situation the other direction? Ah, yeah. that's, the way, I, that's yeah. the way I read it. Let's, let's tell David he said this thing, which he didn't actually say but we can convince him and Bathsheba of all people is the one who can convince him. Right. 
So I think what I'm hearing you suggest, as a possibility at least, is that it's not that they were gunning for Solomon to be king before this. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But the fact that Adonijah has set this up and not invited them is a signal to them that if this kingship comes to fruition of Adonijah, then they're in danger. I think that's definitely true. This, the other part about were they gunning for the kingship already, I'm less clear about. Yeah. But it seems like the motivation for this to happen at this moment is, oh, he invited, Adonijah invited people and we weren't on the guest list. Yeah. That does not bode well for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the tactic that he's suggesting is to, you know, I think as both you and I are reading it, is to is to suggest that David had made a promise long ago that maybe he's forgotten, that maybe he never said, right. and have Bathsheba say it, and then Nathan to back it up immediately. Right. exactly. And so, whereas maybe you would think one person would make it up, the second person, you know, you, you would start to think, oh, well, I guess, I guess this would happen. Right. I mean, sorry, I guess this must have happened if— if they're both if There's two it. people telling me. I think that's exactly right. And you start with the one with the more intimate relationship. And it's possible yeah. that things got said. And I mean, David, that David's relationship with Bathsheba started out in a really traumatic way. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, I wonder some, sometimes if he feels some sort of obligation to her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. David doesn't seem to have a great deal of conscience, yeah. but every once in a while <laughs> yeah. he does. And so that some, if there's anything about the specifics of their particular history that makes David feel beholden to her in some way. But I think that's exactly right. She can plant the seed and then Nathan can follow up. And the two, those two sort of testimonies together are going to be enough to convince David. Yeah. I can't help but think in this moment about when Isaac is old and feeble and, you know, his mm. senses are, are not about yeah. him. And his wife, Rebecca, recognizes that because yeah. that that kind of embodied power is falling away, there's this very small window of time yeah. that, you know, Rebecca doesn't speak directly to Isaac about it, but she, because of her intimate connection to him, is able to confuse him into thinking something that is reality, something is reality that was not reality. That's exactly right. I love that parallel. And, you know, one of the things, like, I I, I really want this text to be that this was all Bathsheba's idea, because then that parallel yeah. would be so nice. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Mm-hmm. It's Nathan's idea. And Bathsheba is employed in it. And so thinking, I, I mean, we don't need to talk about this in depth right now, but I'm kind of yeah. keeping in my head, like, Bathsheba's agency or lack of in this yes. story as well. Yes. Because there is a parallel there with Rebecca, but it's but it's not exactly... It's not exactly. You're right, because it's Nathan. So on the one hand, I want to say because because still stories of quote-unquote manipulation make me uncomfortable, even though I can name all the ways in which this is the only kind of power that was available right. to women and many other people who are pushed to the margins of society. It's still because, I don't know, because I was raised, I, I don't know why, it's still hard for me. It's hard. Yeah. And so I want to say like, well, good. Nathan's like a prophet. He told her to do it. What is she supposed to, you know, like to sort yeah. of put it off on him. And at the same time, like we are, 
we are focused here on the character of Bathsheba and seeing where she has yeah. agency and and where where we see her voice yeah. and her story coming out. And so, yeah, we need to remember that this idea yeah. actually came from Nathan. It is interesting when you frame it that way that the prophet Nathan, who is a powerful central man in this story, feels like he has no power in the situation. Yeah. And he needs the power that Bathsheba has. So that's interesting to think like, in this, in this kind of interesting way, like she's actually got a more powerful position than Nathan has at this moment. Yeah. Like exactly how she accesses that power is like, that's complicated, but. Right. Maybe she doesn't realize the power that she has and she needs yeah. someone with that social capital to say like, no, you yeah. act, it, it has to be you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now it's making me think of Esther. Okay. Uh, me too, me too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many different connections here. Is there anything else we want to say about this little section or? I want to see what happens next. Should we see what happens next? Okay, so I'm going to pick up then in verse 15. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. The king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was waiting on the king. Bathsheba bowed low in homage to the king and the king asked, what troubles you? She answered him, My lord, you yourself swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God. Your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit upon my throne. Yet now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord the king, know nothing about it. He has prepared a sacrificial feast of a great many oxen, fatlings, and sheep. And he has invited all the king's sons, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab, commander of the army, but he has not invited your servant Solomon. And so the eyes of all Israel are upon you, O Lord King, to tell them who shall succeed my Lord the King on the throne. Otherwise, when my Lord the King lies down with his fathers, my son Solomon and I will be regarded as traitors. She was still talking to the king when the prophet Nathan arrived. They announced to the king, the prophet Nathan is here, and he entered the king's presence. Bowing low to the king with his face to the ground, Nathan said, O Lord King, you must have said, Adonijah shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit upon my throne. For he has gone down today and prepared a sacrificial feast of a great many oxen, fatlings, and sheep. He invited all the king's sons and the army officers and Abiathar the priest. At this very moment, they are eating and drinking with him, and they are shouting, Long live King Adonijah! But he did not invite me, your servant, or the priest Zadok, or Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, or your servant Solomon. Can this decision have come from my lord the king without telling your servant who is to succeed to the throne of my lord the king? Okay. So I just am so, I don't know, struck, I guess, by this image at the beginning in verse 15 where Bathsheba, Bathsheba walks into her yeah. husband's chamber, and Abishag is there. Yeah. What do you think when you when you read that? I think it makes me, well, it makes me sort of question my assumptions about what Bathsheba would have expected from their marriage, because it's not like they had a monogamous, right. you know, situation. But it does seem like it would, it would make her or someone in her situation feel really replaceable. Like once she was the young, beautiful thing who was, you know, pulled in to, to serve, serve David basically like in a different way, but like 
you know, and now there's someone else here. And I, I could imagine there's some combination of maybe jealousy or maybe anger or yeah. maybe empathy for Abhishag yeah. or a sense of resignation that like, this is just like, I, you know, my, I'm past my due date basically. Like I'm not, I can't be the beautiful young thing anymore. I mean, maybe she doesn't want to be. It's not like that served her very well either. It yeah. didn't. I really appreciate your saying it that way. And you, you know, Bathsheba also, like like Abishag, was just taken. Like somebody just came and got yeah. her and brought her to the king. Like there was no agency. I, I really like that complex of emotions you're identifying there about empathy for Abishag, jealousy maybe, feeling replaceable. I think it highlights the lack of commitment that David has to his yeah. relationships. Yeah. Which maybe empowers some things that Bathsheba is, you know, yeah. she's going to be loyal to her people. And no, she's I think not that's exactly worry. right. Mm-hmm. Like why, why would we be talking about a question of loyalty? Right. When this is the world that she's in. Right. So she's going to be loyal to her son because she knows that David's not loyal to her. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way Bathsheba, when she, when she says like Nathan had said, go in and, and she's supposed to ask this question. Mm-hmm. didn't my master, the king, swear your son Solomon will certainly rule after me? But what she actually ends up saying is, you swore by the Lord your God, your son Solomon will certainly rule after me. Like, she takes this, like, question, like, me, did you say this? And she just, like, turns it into a statement about don't you're, like, this happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm, I love the the detail of the picture that she paints and just trying to get into her head about like, why does she offer the details she offers? Like, what does she know about David or about the way that power works at this time? What buttons is she trying to push that will get him to act? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because what she's basically doing is she's reminding him that there is a public that's waiting to hear what he's going to say. And he has made this commitment to her that is now being dishonored publicly. Yeah. yeah. But the way she says it is Adonijah has become king. And it was not exactly clear to me as we were saying that that has yeah. actually happened. Yeah. Like it definitely like is moving in that direction. Yes. Yep. And so she seems to be sort of exaggerating that situation just slightly. Mm-hmm. And so you're still king, but he's acting like king. Like that strikes that whole Absalom thing. Like this has happened to David before. Yeah. Here's a, there's a public moment. That also happened with Absalom when Absalom took over David's harem publicly. Like, she's like bringing back some of that trauma, I think, that David has left over from the last time one of his sons tried to steal his kingship. Yeah. That's so interesting. No, and she and she says, you know, he he has become king and you know nothing about it. Yes. You know, like, shouldn't you know? And I think the fact that she says... Yes. People are waiting to hear from you. Yeah. Which, again, like, it's not clear to me that people were waiting to hear from him. If we assume that the kingship went to the eldest son, people are not really waiting to hear from him. (laughs) Yeah. But it's sort of both a call to action and, like, an honorific in some way. Like, you who are feeble in your bed and can't really do anything anymore, you can still shape the future of this country and people want you to do it. Everyone's actually looking at you. 
Yeah, Adonijah is treating you as though you are no longer the king, but you are the king, so be yeah. the king. Yeah. Yeah. With, with somebody with the ego that David has, like that's a very strong move. It seems like, yeah, it seems like that would be a strong move. And I love the way you asked that question a bit ago, like what buttons is she pushing? And, you know, and the previous question was, uh, why did Nathan go to Bathsheba? And I think those, like she knows him really well. And yeah. so like she knows exactly what kinds of buttons to push. Yeah. And so their intimacy also plays into it that way where she, she knows what what motivates him and how to, how to get him engaged. Yeah. yeah, it's making me think again to um, Rebecca and Isaac and just the fact that like Rebecca knew how to prepare the fav- Isaac's favorite stew. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and Bathsheba knows, knows how David yeah. works. And so they do have that little window of power at the end of the patriarch or the king's life. Yeah. The last line that she says there, my master, the king, when my master, the king lies down with his ancestors, that is when, when he dies, mm-hmm. then I and Solomon will become outlaws. Like there's just this moment of like, she's now appealing to his actual affection for the two of them. Yeah. And saying like, so she is kind of relying on like, what's going to happen to us. And she's trusting that David actually cares yeah. what's going to happen to her. Yeah. And it, I mean, it seems seems to to work. And I think that, I mean, maybe that was her plan all, all along, but it struck me when she first walked in, David says, what troubles you? Yeah. I just thought it was a weird assumption that she came in because something troubled her. Like she hadn't done anything yet that seemed to me that it would indicate yeah. that she was troubled. I will say that that JPS translation, there's a little... Is a little questionable. The Hebrew okay. is just malach. What's it to you? <laughs> <Malach. laughs> What's going on? Yeah. What to yeah. you? What's up? Okay. Fair. Yeah. What's yeah. up? Great. So then the JPS has gone a little too far. And um, yeah. Okay. Great. We don't need to. We don't need to overread <laughs> that then. But in the end, it does. She does bring him a, a a personal a problem that's like you have a problem as king, and I have a problem, and yeah. you're and our son together has a problem. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I love so the way like, you said that. So at first it's your problem because you're the, you're like, you're being embarrassed in public. Mm-hmm. Second, it's a family problem mm-hmm. that Solomon and I also have. And you can solve all of these problems. Right. It's a, it's a family problem that you have the power to stand up and be our protector, even though you are bedridden and, you know, mm-hmm. And totally you already feeble. decided this and Adonijah yeah. is going against yes. your will. And so just stand up and say like, no, what I said goes. Yeah. Even though maybe he did or did not, probably did not actually say that. Right. And then, okay, so then Nathan comes in just as she is finishing. And I thought, okay, I thought from what Nathan said that he was going to confirm that David had said this. Yeah. I'll back up your words or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. But that's not really what he backs up. No. Did that surprise you? That surprised me. No, it did. So he says, I'll come along and support your words. But he actually yeah. plays the opposite side. And he says, hey, you must have said Adonijah will become king. And so now David has just heard that he had supposedly said Solomon is king. I mean, it's a really brilliant move. Yes. Because Nathan's not claiming any special knowledge. Right. And so he manages to do it again like assuming that their relationship has been public, he manages to do it again in a way that nobody can question 
because right. he's not saying I have this special knowledge. All he's saying is I'm looking at the world out there and it sure does look like Adonijah's become king. You must have said that, right? Right. Totally innocent play. Uh, and, it, and coming and on the play- back of- Sorry, I just got excited. Yeah, and, yeah. A, <laughs> and a play that, again, really lifts up the idea that you are powerful, David. Yes. You are powerful. And so if this is happening, it must be yes. at your yeah. will you must that have it's done happening. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now that then makes more sense to me why it has to be Bathsheba who goes in first because she's the one who's saying, like, I know you didn't say this. Right. Like you are being, you're basically being publicly shamed. Right. And you need someone who is, who you have a really intimate relationship with to tell you that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. 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 And she has to say it before. Like if she came in now and said like, yeah, remember when you told me this thing, then it would not be believable. But the fact that she planted it before David knows this other thing is happening really, or before Nathan brings it up, like now it seems, Yeah. It had to happen this way. It's a brilliant plan. Yeah. It's very, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And Nathan takes it even one step further. And so now the people are proclaiming, long live King Adonijah. Yes, they really have played up what yeah. has happened out there. Yeah, for sure. exactly right. I mean, presumably they're, they're, they're exaggerating. I, I mean, I guess we don't really know, but it, seem, it seems like it. From what the text has told us, this 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 has not been in that. <laughs> this hasn't been in the story so far. It is also interesting the move he makes in verse twenty six to say Adonijah didn't invite me, Zadok, uh, Jehoiada's son, or Solomon, and so he names another set of people who are close to David that didn't get invited to this thing, but he doesn't mention Bathsheba, and so the the idea that they're connected is not ever stated here. They both made the same. They have the same concern but there's no hint of a connection between the two of them. Right. So interesting. Okay. I think, are you ready to move on? I am. Okay. I think I'm going to take us all the way to the end of the reading, which is kind of a big chunk of text, but I just think it's, I'm just going to take us to the end. So we're picking (laughs) up in verse 28 and going all the way to 40. Ready? Yes. King David's response was, Summon Bathsheba. She entered the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath, saying, As the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every trouble, the oath I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, that your son Solomon should succeed me as king, and that he should sit upon my throne in my stead, I will fulfill this very day. Bathsheba bowed low in homage to the king with her face to the ground, and she said, May my lord King David live forever. Then King David said, Summon to me the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, the king said to them, Take my loyal soldiers and have my son Solomon ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon. Let the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan anoint him their king over Israel, whereupon you shall sound the horn and shout, Long live King Solomon." Then march up after him and let him come in and sit on my throne. For he shall succeed me as king. Him I designate to be ruler of Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, spoke up and said to the king, Amen, and may the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so ordain. As the Lord was with my lord the king, 
so may he be with Solomon, and may he exalt his throne even higher than the throne of my lord King David. Then the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan and Benaiah son of Jehoiada went down with the Cherethites and the Pelethites. They had Solomon ride on King David's mule, and they led him to Gihon. The priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They sounded the horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. All the people then marched up behind him, playing on flutes and making merry till the earth was split open by the uproar. That's very dramatic. (laughs) It is, yeah. Okay, so... This is maybe a, a silly question, but I'm trying to picture the scene that's happening here. So we're in David's chamber. Yeah. It's his, like, personal chamber. He's with Abishag, right? And Bathsheba comes in and says her thing. Nathan comes in just as she's finishing. And then King David says, summon Bathsheba. <laughs> right. It's kind of a bump in the narrative, isn't it? It's a bump in the narrative. Do we, Should we just, like, there's some kind of source issue and we're really not going to worry about it? Or do you think there's more more to be done with that. Has Bathsheba left? I mean, I think the two ways of dealing with it are the narrator, either there's a source issue or the narrator's just sort of lost track of the plot slightly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you've got some sort of thing here where, you know, when when the prophet comes in, then the person who is speaking you know, fades away or like steps to the back of the room or something. Mm, mm -hmm. Because you certainly had the sense that Bathsheba was still in the room while Nathan was speaking. Or I guess you could read it as David doesn't really remember. Maybe that that's kind of an interesting way of reading it, as David doesn't really remember wow. that he was just talking to Bathsheba. That would really, <laughs> no, that, I mean. That's not in the text. But. It's not in the text, but he is a, they are, if we believe that they are, they are at the point where they're planting memories in his yeah. brain. Although I'm not that old, and I feel like you could plant memories in my brain pretty Oh, yeah, absolutely. With this kind of system, that would be very yeah. effective on me. Yeah. <laughs> You never yeah. called me Bobby Shog, actually. Oh. <laughs> that I, I would never story. forget that. I, <laughs> of course I did. I think it's so interesting that in David's response, the issue that he has doesn't seem to have anything to do with Adonijah, or he doesn't raise that up. The issue is totally that the oath I swore to you by the Lord, I will. Right. Does it, is it, I don't know. What do you think of that? Like, he doesn't seem, that's, of all the things that they said, that is the thing that he first responds to. Yeah. And, you know, when you read it again, I went back and looked because Bathsheba actually added that part. Nathan said, go to, back in verse 13, go to King David and say, didn't my master, the king, swear Mm. to your servant? Like, didn't you tell me? And then she said, you swore by the Lord, your God. And then David picks up that language. She really knows him. She does. And so, yeah. And so Nathan has made this whole thing. And David could have said to Nathan, oh, my goodness, like, let's take care of this problem. But he doesn't. He goes back to Bathsheba first and uses that exact Mm. language about as the Lord lives regarding the oath I swore to you by the Lord. So it is exactly that promise with Mm -hmm. an oath to God, which Bathsheba Mm -hmm. seems to have created. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes the that changes the direction of the Davidic dynasty. Not to put yeah. too fine a point on it. No, I love that, and I love that. Just sort of like the way you're describing the narrative is sort of uh, 
all the other issues they've raised that are big and messy and political and dynasty changing and, you know, world altering of all of those things, what he attaches to for, for whatever reason we want to come up with is Bathsheba. Yes. And this, I, and God, this idea that he has made an oath to God and he needs to keep it. And so like, that's what's front and center. Yes. For him. Yes. And I mean, it's interesting to think about whether, like, what does that have to do with their history? And is it just that Bathsheba is important to him? Is it just that she used that language about God? Or is there a recollection of that story that we read earlier back in 2 Samuel where, I mean, that was the low point of David's relationship with God. And for Bathsheba in particular to be reminding David of an oath he made to God when that was that whole, like, I mean, David and God almost broke up right there, you know? Yeah. Um, And it was about her. And so she's got a special, like, taking that trauma from her past and bringing it here. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on there. You know, there is, and it's still, uh, it's hard to read in that it makes me, like, David put so much faith in what, in his relationship with her, and he, it, like trusts yeah. her and we know or we think that she's telling him something that's not true. Yeah. And that's painful. Yeah. to read. And I'm trying to I'm trying to like think about it in different ways and one thing that just popped into my head is like maybe that is the trust that he has in his mind but your trust in someone can be bigger than that. It can be trust that they they know the right thing to do. It can be trust that you should follow what they're what they're yeah. saying, and not just that they're going to tell you every detail of of the truth. And in the end, if if we believe, I don't know if we should believe that this is how it was supposed to be, that Solomon yeah. is, was supposed to be king, um, just like that Jacob was supposed to be the one to get the blessing from right. Isaac, it is a matter of trusting. There is trust in there. And the women are trustworthy. It's just they have to use the tools that they have available that's that society has given them yeah and those are those are different I like that reading Amy and you know we've seen along the way other women who and Rebecca being primary among them who sort of bring God's plan to fruition in ways that that it wouldn't have happened otherwise if they hadn't exercised their agency yeah the other way uh, of reading it is that Bathsheba has taken her revenge on David for a trauma Mm. that happened long ago and was never resolved by way of upending what was the intended order of succession to favor her son, which is the one she has genuine loyalty to. And so she's manipulated her relationship with David because she feels no loyalty to him in order to get what she wants for her family line. I realize those are drastically different. I, ju- I know. My brain just exploded a little bit. But you're right. Those are absolutely, absolutely two different ways to read what is, what's driving her. And I don't think the text settles that for us. And so Bathsheba becomes a sort of beautifully complicated character. And I mean, I don't even know that both of those things are necessarily can't be read together right, even. Right, right, right. Even if we say her interest isn't what's best for David. Right. It could be if her interest is what she she believes is the right thing for the kingdom or I don't know what her 
personal relationship to God is and if she would be thinking about things in those terms. But yeah, it, it could be that she believes the best thing is for it to be Solomon and not Adonijah. And so what they wind up accomplishing here, Dave, I just called you David, Bobby Shog, <laughs> David. What they wind up accomplishing here is pretty amazing. Like, whereas Adonijah had been, like, making some moves towards the kingship and, like, starting to just, like, creep yeah. into spaces that David had left uninhabited, David, like, fully gives the kingship to Solomon while he's still alive. Yeah. That's yeah, and this crazy. is what it looks like to become the king, right? And so what Adonijah did was not exactly this. Like, he, right. Solomon's riding the king's mule. He's having the priest anoint him. He's having the people declare Solomon has been made king. And yeah, yeah. so this is very clear. I don't know if what's envisioned here is a co-regency where Solomon and David are simultaneously king until David dies. Yeah. Or whether this is sort of like David has ceded the kingship. Yeah. I think it... I'm not sure. I think it could be read probably either way, but it certainly reads like David is kind of retired <laughs> at yeah. this moment and he's handed handed the keys to the kingdom over. All right, Bobby. Complex character, complex story. What is rising up for you now? I'm always like these, the special series where I'm like, these women are fascinating. Yeah. And then the question at the end is like, so what do we do with that today? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, let's just appreciate how fascinating the, a character this is. I actually kind of love that answer. But yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the takeaway necessarily needs to be like to put in your pocket. But I think what I'm, what I'm taking away here is, I mean, I read, I think in my heart of hearts, I read this story, I was going to say as a redemptive arc but maybe it's a revengeful arc. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Like I was so dissatisfied by our conversation about Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. And I really, really wanted there to be more to say about it. And there wasn't. There's nothing in the text. And if that's the end of her story, it's a pretty unsatisfying ending. This being the end of her story, I mean, it's like kind of messy and complicated and a little ugly. But, you know, she has taken that position and that intimacy that she has with David, and she has used the access that she has to secure the outcomes that seem right to her. Mm. And she's the only one who's able to do that because of their past history, whatever, whichever parts of that she's engaging, she's the only one. And the prophet here has to come and say, hey, I need you to help me make this thing happen. Yeah. Whether we read that as Bathsheba is helping to bring God's plan for the kingdom to fruition or whether we read it as a self-interested, I'm going to look out for my people. You know, if it's, I'm going to look out for my people, she reads a lot like Rahab. That's right. Who does what she needs to do. Yeah. Uh, more than like, or in addition to Rebecca, maybe. So like, to me, I think that's enough for me is just to say Bathsheba used the access. She understood the relationship. In a, dif- in a difficult, impossible, traumatic situation, she found a way to work the situation to the benefit of the people that she cares about and is loyal to. And that's a truly remarkable thing mm-hmm. in a world and in a text that doesn't really seem to care that much about women, the biblical world. She figured out a, she figured out a way to do it. What do you take away when you read this text? I mean, I first want to raise up what you said about like, I almost don't want to don't want to have a takeaway. I don't want to summarize right. this in a little kernel because what's so beautiful about it is how complicated these these folks are. Right. 
But since this is our format, I think I'm I'm really interested in the fact that, you know, we pointed out at the early in this episode that Nathan has to pull her into this. Yes. And it's just making me think a lot about, I mean, I, I can't really very well put myself back in the biblical world, but I think it is often the case that many people, especially people who are socialized as women or socialized as folks in society who have less power and are kind of trying to fit into the power systems that exist, it doesn't occur to you that you have Mm. power in a situation Mm -hmm. until someone tells you that you do. Yeah. And then to see what Bathsheba does with her power, she doesn't just do what Nathan says to do. Right. It's just she needs someone to activate it and say like, no, it's you, Bathsheba. Like, yeah. you're the one who has the key to this. Yeah. And once she starts thinking about what, what that might look like, she is a master. She yeah. knows exactly what to do. Yeah. But, it, it, I mean, I'm thinking especially for someone who has had the kind of traumatizing past that she has, it makes some sense that it might not occur to her mm-hmm. that, that she has the power that— Yeah that ultimately she proves that she does have in this text. And so, I don't know. I wish I could know more about, I wish I could know more about her and what she's thinking throughout this and what she's thinking afterwards when it works yeah. and and when she realizes that she, she, can, she can really change the shape of society. I love that, Amy. And when you were talking just then, it reminded me of Esther, who yeah. needed Mordecai to kind of get her started. But once she got started, she's a When she genius. got started, she knew exactly what to do. I love all these connections where all these sort of women scattered through the text. When you start reading their stories yeah. together, you start to see all these connections about the different inflections of how they're navigating the world. Yeah, I love that. Me too. Mm, good stuff. Bobby, this has been so much fun. Yes. We will return next time to our regularly scheduled narrative lectionary programming. And I'll look forward to seeing you then. All right. I'll see you then. Thanks, Amy. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. This episode concludes Season 4 of Bible Worm. We'll be on hiatus for the next few weeks, but we'll be back with Season 5 beginning the first week of September. Until then, keep on digging.